that we would be lights wherever we go. And we'll give you all the glory and all the honor, praise and thanksgiving for what will be accomplished in every heart and in every life in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Praise the Lord. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever and ever. Why don't you say this after me? Now, thanks be unto God who always, who always causes me to triumph in my life. In my body, in my marriage, in my finances, in my health, He always causes me to triumph. And through that, diffuses a fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere I go. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Praise God. Welcome. We want to welcome everybody who's joining us by live stream. We want to welcome our Meeker campus. We're glad that you're with us today. We're glad that you're all with us. I believe that we are amongst and gathering together as the greatest people on the face of the earth. Praise the Lord. Greatest people on the face of the earth. You are members of the body of Christ. You are members of the body of the Redeemer of all mankind. Thank you for your enthusiasm. You are members of the Redeemer, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. Come on, that's, that's significant. That's special. He's the King of Kings. You've been made a king. So he's your Lord. He's king over your kingship, but your king. So that you can reign in life through him. Reign over circumstances of life through him. Are you reigning? Yes. Oh, yeah. Are circumstances reigning over you? No. Or are you reigning? Because God's design is not that you be reigned over, but that you reign in life through one Jesus Christ. He, doesn't, he didn't come and die and shed his blood so you could be beat down, broke down, poor, confused, sad, depressed. No, he came. So that you could have life and have life more abundantly. So if you're broke down, you're beat down, you're depressed, we feel bad, we, we, we want you to understand. You don't have to live that way. See, the enemy will try to just tell you that's your lot in life. You'll just live that way. But you don't have to live that way. Jesus came and he died and he broke the power of all that over your life. But there's just that one key. One key that you know it. That you know you're free from it. Thank you for your, for your enthusiasm. That you know it. You don't have to live that way. You can reign over every situation of life. Not by yourself. Through one Jesus Christ. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. We're going to continue in our series uh, that we've entitled uh, The Marriage Mindset. And so don't turn me off just because we talk about marriage, because it's really, uh, as we look at it, it's a a thing that the Holy Spirit wants us to know. And as we'll see in just a moment, marriage, that relationship is a divine relationship. It's a supernatural relationship. It's a covenant relationship. So when we talk about that, every relationship that God has designed is a covenant relationship. And because we're a people of contracts and not of covenant, we, we come fall very short of understanding and having a mindset of covenant in these relationships. If we had that understanding, we'd have a much closer relationship to God through Jesus Christ. Because we understood covenant, right? 
we'd have a much uh, a stronger bond and, and greater statistically success in our marriage if we understood covenant relationship. The church would be bound, uh, wouldn't be so flighty all over the place if it understood covenant relationship. Yes, sir. Amen. Relationships that God designed, they're supernatural, they're all based on covenant. So Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So he says, bring your body, bring your whole life, bring your body to serve God. That's only a reasonable service of worship. What's he doing? He's talking about covenant. He's talking about covenant. When you're like, I don't have time. Why would I bring my life? You don't understand covenant. Why would you bring your life? Because Jesus brought his life. And he cut a covenant. He didn't hold back anything. He didn't say, well, God, it's really not a convenient time for me to die on the cross. It's really not a convenient time for me to go down to earth, the situation that it's in. If you could make it a little more, more comfy for me then maybe I could go. No, he came no matter what the circumstance and he gave everything and he shed his blood. We enter into covenant relationship. So he goes on to say this, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. Renewing your mind to what? Renewing your mind to the covenant. Renewing your mind to the covenant. This is a covenant book. This is a covenant book. It's a book about covenant that God made with man. It's a book about broken covenant. And what happens when you break a covenant? It's about somebody who honors covenant so much that he restores covenant and lives covenant to a thousand generations and is faithful to covenant. Right? So many times we just read the Bible for, because we're supposed to read the Bible. God says, I want you to read the Bible because I want you to know the covenant that I've made with you. And when you make Jesus Lord of your life, you know the covenant that you're making with me. That covenant's very important. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 14. You know, he called out, he, he gives the example of a, a, a supper that he asks everybody to come to. And then all of a sudden, everybody had a whole bunch of excuses. Invited to a great dinner. A great dinner. And said, well, you know what? I, I just bought an oxen. I got to see how they work. Can't come. Bought some new machinery, can't come. Got married, right? Really, the other ones say, would you please excuse me? I bought an oxen, could you excuse me? Got some machinery, could you excuse me? I bought a field, could you excuse me? Then the third one said, I got married, I can't come. I'm not even asking to be excused, I can't come. <laughs> so he goes right from that, he gets, a, he gets a little bit upset, gets a little bit angry, and uh, uh says, well, go out, go out into the highways and the byways. If the people who are ordained to be invited make excuses, they don't want to come, go invite anybody who will come. And so then he goes on to say, listen, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to count the cost. Something in our generation that we're not doing is we're not counting the cost. We're going to get to marriage, but it's a covenant mindset. We enter into marriage, just my flesh loves your flesh. Let's just get married. We'll live happily ever after. And uh, never count the cost of giving your life to somebody. He said, listen, if you, count the, if you don't count the cost, you'll get in the middle and you'll quit. Just like somebody, you know, if you start a building, you don't count the cost, you get in the middle and you have to quit. People drive by and say, well, that was just foolish to start something you couldn't finish. 
said, how many people go to war with not enough troops to win? They don't have enough knowledge or strategy to win. He said, lest they get defeated in battle. He said, if you do that in the natural, why would you come to me and say, you're going to follow me and be my disciple, that I'm going to be the Lord of your life and not count what that'll cost you, lest you get halfway in serving me and bail. Well, see, he's talking about covenant relationship. And so many times we get into marriage and, and we don't think about what it's going to cost. We say till death do us part, but you know, we never really figured it would really mean that. We never figured right off the bat, you know, the second day it would be to death do me part. So wait a minute, I didn't die the second day of my marriage. Well, you should have died to yourself. <laughs> covenant. All right, we'll keep moving. So he said, listen, we renew our mind. Otherwise, we're going to get conformed to the world. The world's going to set our mind on how it wants us to go. So we're dictated by the course of the world, by the prince of the power of the air. If we don't renew our mind to the covenant that we have with him. And so we understand the covenant that we have with him. It carries out to every single part of our life. And so marriage, marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. So I'm going to go over this real quick. We, we said this a couple of weeks ago, but number one, marriage is a covenant based on trust between two parties. What a contract is, a contract is cut based on distrust. Distrust. Number two, a covenant is based on unlimited responsibility, a contract on limited liability. A covenant cannot be broken if new circumstances occur. A contract can be voided just by mutual consent. So, so many people have entered into marriage with a contract mentality. Limited liability, if it doesn't work out, if it's costing me too much, I'm out. Circumstances change, I'm out. Right? For the body of Christ, it shouldn't be that way. Shouldn't be that way. We committed to something deep. So, we said this, you know, Miles Monroe said this a number of years ago. Uh, he said, uh, uh, if you want to know really the purpose of a thing, you have to ask the creator of a thing. Why? Because the purpose of a thing is found only in the mind of the creator of the thing. He subsequent to that said that where the purpose of a thing is not known, abuse is inevitable. Abuse is inevitable. So if we look out through our culture, we see that marriage has been abused. There's been much abuse in marriage, which tells us we never knew the purpose of marriage. So we went over this just a couple weeks ago. The, the number one purpose of marriage is to replicate the image of God on the earth. He said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, male and female will make him. We showed you that example there of the Trinity. God's big on Trinity. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He made you a triune being. He set marriage to be a triune uh, uh, relationship with Him at the center of that. He's big on that. Because why? There's strength in three. There's such strength in... There's, there's, there's good strength in two, but much greater strength in three. All right, the, number, the second purpose is to complete man and woman so they experience companionship and eliminate aloneness. Aloneness. Not eliminate loneliness, but aloneness. He said it's not good that man should be alone, so I set somebody opposite that they would fit together. Right? Not be lonely. It meant not working alone, not striving alone, not wearing yourself out, but a companion that makes a power union 
And when you know that, instead of a, a power struggle, it's a power union. Number three, purpose, uh, uh, to generationally perpetuate the nature of God and his va- the values of his kingdom. So he said, I want an offspring that understand. I want to bless from generation to generation, right? And so when we understand covenant, God can't bless from generation to generation if you've broken covenant. Number four, to multiply God's human family with righteous offspring. So there's a couple requirements to marriage. Uh, Number one is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Anybody realize there's a little bit of sacrifice to marriage? Praise the Lord. But we think of it as sacrifice, you know, bring it out and I'm about done, but I'll sacrifice today. I'm wore out. But really sacrifice scripturally means to bring your best. To bring your best. Praise the Lord. Second requirement is commitment. Commitment. To lay aside selfishness. To serve one another. To cooperate with one another. To be generous to one another. Amen. Are you all with me? Praise the Lord. So this mindset of marriage has to be based on uh, understanding the purpose of marriage. That it's a covenant that's not easily broken. So Malachi chapter 2, this is our foundational text, verse 13, and here's the second offense. You fill the place of worship with your whining and your sniveling because you don't get what you want from God. Do you know why? Has anybody cried out to God because you're not getting what you want? A few honest people here. You just get to like, God, this isn't working. This isn't working. Why isn't it working? But we haven't really looked at our covenant relationships. Praise the Lord. Our covenant relationship, starting with our relationship with Him, our marriage relationship. And then many times we don't know why we're not getting what we want, but we haven't even considered our participation in the body of Christ as covenant. But God does. And we'll get to that next, mess- next series of messages. He said, do you know why? Simple, because God was there. Somebody said God was there. God was there as a witness when you spoke your marriage vows to your young bride. And you've broken those vows. Broken the faith bond with your vowed companion, your covenant wife. God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest detail of marriage. And what does he want from marriage? Children of God, that's what. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. God of the angel armies says, I hate the violent dismemberment of the one flesh of marriage. So watch yourselves. Don't let your guard down. Don't cheat. He says, listen, if you don't keep your guard up, the enemy's going to attack. He wants to attack marriage. He wants to bust up marriage. Why? Because God made marriage, not you. If you made marriage, he'd leave it alone. But God made it. God made it with a purpose. God loves marriage. God loves marriage. Somebody say, God loves marriage. Come on now. Now, just if you're single, God loves you. God loves his relationship with you. See, sometimes, you know, it's difficult to preach the truth because everybody's getting their feelings hurt. God's not hurting anybody's feeling. He loves you. He has a covenant with you. But he ordained marriage. So those who are married, or if you desire to be married... 
right? God set that institution. If you say, you know what, uh, uh, God, I love you. I'm going to live for you all my life. I don't need a companion. You're all right with that. Paul said, you know, you're good with that. You don't have to be concerned about some of the stuff that will come your way in marriage. So he loves you. You don't have to be married. But if you decide to, it's in your heart to, then God loves marriage. And once it comes together, God doesn't like it to be torn apart. Right? So it says God loves it. And, 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 you know, they go on to talk about uh, what he goes on to talk about what they've said in a culture. And so when we look here in Malachi, really Malachi is, is the last moment, I believe, that God is trying to get the children of Israel to repent. He goes through Malachi stating broken covenant over and over. Their broken covenant in giving, their broken covenant in marriage, their broken covenant in their relationships and their promises to God. And he's speaking to them, I believe, to get them to repent so that his people can usher in the Messiah. But they don't repent, and so God doesn't speak to them for 400 years. 400 years he, later, he ordains one man, John the Baptist, to prepare the way of the Lord. And God's people missed the Messiah. Why? Because they didn't understand covenant relationship. And how important in covenant with God, covenant marriage is. So he said, listen, God was there. Somebody say, God was there. God was there when you spoke your covenant vow to one another. God was there. So I just believe that... uh, Come on. There we go. I know that if I did your marriage ceremony, this is what you vowed. And if I didn't, you probably vowed something like this. And if you didn't, you wrote your own vows, which you might not have really vowed anything. (laughs) I tell young couples now, they're like, we want to write our own vows. I said, let me see them. Because if you're just going to tell each other how you met and how beautiful you are, fine, read the poem, and then you're going to recite vows after me. Because young people, they're like, I want to write my own vows. And then they're like, when I met you, you were so beautiful. And you're the love of my life. I can't wait to spend life with you. And it's so beautiful. People are like, ah. But they they never vowed one thing. We wonder why it's breaking apart. Because you were so beautiful. The moment you're not quite as beautiful. I'm out. You were so wonderful in how you thought I was the man of your dreams. And then when you, you don't think I am, I'm out. No, it's covenant. And covenant takes a vow. Praise the Lord. So this is what you said if you were part of a ceremony I did. I give you my sacred promise. To stay by your side as your faithful husband or wife. A sacred promise. In sickness and in health. In joy and in sorrow. Through good times. I promise to love you. Oh wait, we forgot one. And bad times. I promise to love you. Without reservation. I will honor and respect you. 
always encourage you to achieve your dreams. I will grow with you in mind and spirit. And I will always be honest and open with you. Now, in some manner, you probably said that. If you were in one of my ceremonies, you said just that. And guess what? God was there. God was there. Listening. Oh, man, I've been taking a beat and studying for this. God was there. I got one on God. We did our, our wedding. We did a reception. We went to Grand Junction to spend the night. We were headed out. And so we just, we got all excited about it. Tasha was excited about it. We're driving through and we're listening on the cassette tape to our marriage vows. And we're in Debec Canyon and I'm saying my vows. And we, we said our own vows to each other. And so Tasha, she had them. She had memorized so sweet her vows. And she was just happy. She was smiling. Uh, you know, she won $100 from Pastor Craig because he said, every girl cries at the wedding. She said, I won't cry. He said, if you don't cry, I'll give you 100 bucks. She laughed. She laughed and smiled through the whole thing. I knew he lost 100 bucks. Because when she gets nervous, she chuckles and laughs. So she's nervous and she's chuckling. She's laughing. She just recites those vows. Beautiful. And uh, she's chuckling and laughing. And I, I, I get nervous. And I forgot my vows. <laughs> and so I never did promise to forgive her. <laughs> and we noticed that right off the bat. She's like, wait a minute. You forgot to say some things. I said, well, I'm holding that in reservation. <laughs> no, we made those vows. And God was there. When we made those vows and he was a witness of those vows. And really, when we think about it, we think, you know, God was there when we made those vows. Don't cheat on your spouse. But if you said, I'll always encourage you to achieve your dreams and you quit encouraging, you cheated. If you weren't there, only in joy, but not in sorrow, you cheated. Thank God for the blood. We get to repent. But boy, when we start to see, we start to see God was there. God was witnessing. God was looking at that. I promise to be your faithful partner in life. Faithful. I'm going to be there at the beginning, and I'm going to be there at the end. We meant it. You know, we wanted to get some secrets before we got married. And uh, uh, so, you know, my parents came to visit one time. My parents are still married. They just celebrated 70. Isn't that, is that what we celebrate? 70 years of marriage. And so we, you know, we thought, well, we'll ask them, uh, you know, some secrets to marriage. You know, we always, what would you tell your younger self? We had that, you know, 37 years ago, we were thinking with my mom and dad, what would you tell your younger self? We want to know. And so, you know, they came to visit. We went to their hotel room and, uh, you know, two queen-sized beds. So we, we meet with them in the hotel room. They sit over here on this side, you know, facing us. We're on this side, you know, that little aisle between the two queen beds. So we just wanted to talk to you a little bit. We wanted to ask you, what's the secret of your longevity of marriage? I mean, I'm all ready. I'm ready to get the whole scoop. My mom looks at my dad. My dad looks at my mom. They nod. They said divorce wasn't an option. 
And they stopped talking. I'm like, come on. Said divorce wasn't an option. Said not that times didn't get tough. Not that we didn't have things. But divorce not being an option meant we had to work it out. I'm like, you got anything else? Not really. <laughs> Top 10 things to stay married. Well, we only got one. So we left. We were going out of the hotel. Said, I guess that's it. Guess divorce isn't an option. I've told people that. They said divorce isn't an option. Yet they didn't understand what they were committing to. You know, there's been times if you came by our house, you might think it's over. You might even hear, like, we're not living like this anymore. Say, oh my God. That just means we ain't living like this. We better fix something because we ain't living like this anymore. We're living the rest of our life together. And it can either be like this or it could be different. We'd be much happier if it's different. God will meet you there. God will meet you there. Because he knows covenant. When you honor covenant, God gets right in on, on, on that. Gets right in the middle of that. Y'all doing all right? Okay, so we're going to get into 10 mindsets of marriage. Number one, we went over this last week just a little bit. But number one. The reason I share that with you, I review that. Because when you go through these mindsets, you put it with covenant. It starts to operate in every area of our life. It, with our relationship with God. With our relationship with our spouse. In our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But more deeply, these relationship principles, they work at the highest level in our relationship with God. But then they work in marriage at a high level. They're perfect principles for relationship. And then they work at a level... With the body of Christ, if we work them, then they'll even work with sinners when we minister to people. Amen. So, y'all with me? All right. So, I know you've been waiting for two weeks for these. Um, so, we better get to it. If I can figure out how to get back here, praise the Lord. All right. So, number one, number one. Problems are opportunities. Problems are opportunities. So often we get focused on problems. But problems are always opportunities, especially when you have a threefold cord. So Ecclesiastes 4, starting in verse 9, says this, two are better than one. Somebody say two are better than one. Say it like you mean it. Two are better than one. See, so often we think I'm the lone ranger. I don't need anybody. No, God created you. You need somebody. Two are always better than one. You might think you're really something until you fall down and you can't get up. Well, I got a problem. I fell down. I can't get up. But if you have a partner, if you have a partner, you don't want a partner says, well, get up yourself. No, you want a covenant partner who says, I'm here for this very reason 
of picking you up. I'm so thankful for the times when I was down and she was up. Over the last 37 years, you know what? There's been times when I've been down. I haven't been at my best. But thank God when I'm down, she's up. Hopefully when she's down, I'm up. We lift each other up. Because there is this situation, two are better than one. There are times when you're going to fall down. It says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall down, one lifts his companion. But woe to him who's alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can you keep warm alone? Man, I'm so glad. She just keeps me warm. Come on, sometimes it's just cold. You feel like you're alone. But thank God. Thank God. He comes alongside. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Just like your companion, he comes alongside. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. It says when you got two helping each other out, and then you wrap that up, you, you braid that together with God, you're undefeatable. So many people leave the third cord out, and they can be strong, but they're not unbreakable. But when you bring God on the scene, you're unbreakable. And so that's why the enemy tries to make you think your marriage, you can handle your marriage, you can make decisions about your marriage, you can say whatever you want about your marriage, because it's your marriage. But the moment you get God on the inside, the devil doesn't want you to do that. He knows that covenant relationship entwined with a covenant with God cannot be broken. God will help you. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you understanding. He'll give you tenacity. He'll give you faith to stand in times when you want to bail, in times when it looks better on the other side of the fence. He'll cause you to realize and see the covenant that you have. And join together in that. Thank God. James chapter 1. Verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be complete and entire, lacking nothing. And if anyone lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God who gives liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. What's he going to say? He, situations are going to come. Difficulty is going to come. Trials are going to come. Peter said, don't think it's strange when a fiery trial comes your way. It happens to everyone. But this is a really good time to put your faith in God. To have a mindset when you're together. We're better together. Problems are not problems that should overcome us. Problems are an opportunity for us to come together in our strengths and overcome weakness and resolve the problem. Number two, mindset. Caring for yourself is not selfish. Now, you can be selfish and only care for yourself. But how often do we get into a marriage? We take the best care of ourselves while we're dating or while we're single, while we're hoping to attract. And then we get married and we just don't take care of ourselves anymore. Dear Lord, have mercy. We take care of ourselves. 
shows honor. Shows how much we love the person that we're with. Keeping ourselves healthy. Keeping ourselves sharp. Praying, keeping ourselves spiritually built up in the things of God. So often, we're looking for a Christian spouse. We get married. We're going to church. We're, we're, we're serving God. All of a sudden, we get married. We can't serve God together anymore. Something's going on. We serve God together. We grow. We take care of ourselves, spirit, soul, and body. Mark chapter 12, verse 31. Jesus talking about the greatest commandment. He said, the second greatest commandment is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, there's a selfishness. There's just a love of self. But then there's an understanding of who I am. How much Christ loved me. What I have on the inside of me. What God, the gifts that God placed on the inside of me. And to cultivate and to stir up those gifts that are on the inside of me. To keep myself strong. To keep myself healthy. To keep myself thinking and knowing so that I'm the best that I can be. How can I love her if I don't love myself? How can I take care of her if I'm not taking care of myself? If I'm not taking care of myself spiritually, you know, when we were, when we were first married, we were having a, a few issues. Our first year of marriage was a rough one. Just, just saying. Some people say, woo, the honeymoon is over after a year. I thought, oh my God, if this is, if this is as good as it's going to get and after a year, we're done. This is going to be a rough haul. But we were working some things out in the first year. We were working some things out. So I, I just remember one time, you know, I told Tasha, I, I got on her for a little while. I know nobody else has ever done this, and so you all can uh, uh, just, you know, pray for me. Just being honest, you know, everything hasn't been, you know, over 37 years hasn't just been smooth as silk. Thank God it took a commitment. It took, took God jerking the slack out of me sometimes. But, you know, I kept accusing her of, of not praying. You know, she was just, in my mind, acting up, acting like she wasn't praying. And I was getting up and going to work every day. I mean, I'm getting up at, you know, 5.36 in the morning, going to work every day, coming home late at night, you know, going, serving, going to church, doing whatever. And I'm just like, you need to be praying. I'm thinking I'm praying because I'm serving at the church and stuff like that. And so, you know, uh, pretty soon she's like, I don't know what's going on, but you must not be praying because I'm praying. And you keep accusing me of not praying. And And she said that, and I'm like, just a quick reel in my mind. Probably was the Holy Ghost saying, you're doing a lot of things, but you ain't praying. I'm like, dear God, I, need, I better start praying. I need to start praying. Why? Because if I'm not praying and I'm not spiritually built up, then how can I bring anything to the table? Well, what I'll end up bringing to the table if I'm lacking is I'll start to accuse my spouse of not bringing it. That's how the enemy gets in. So if we love ourselves enough to take care of ourselves, spirit, soul, and body, we're showing a love. We're showing a care. Now listen, don't, don't you as a husband and wife go tell this to your spouse. We're talking to you about understanding covenant and understanding each other. All right, number three. Are you all still with me? Are you learning anything? Praise the Lord. You know, in Ephesians chapter five, it tells husbands that we should care for our wives even as we care for ourselves. 
Because no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So I know a lot of guys, they just say, well, I don't treat her any different than myself. I can stay in a camper. She can stay in a camper. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you know, you know, if you have a stomach ache, you take care of it. You know, if you tweak your knee, strain a muscle, you go, oh, God, oh, God, oh, oh, God, somebody do something, oh, my God. Oh. And then your wife, who's built differently than you, has issues, and you're like, get over it. No, no. See, we're, we're challenges, men. I'm going to go over some touchy territory for me. Some people can talk about that. But, but you know, we're challenges, men. You're never going to have a monthly cycle. Come on. Yet you're called to understand that she does. And imagine for a minute if you did. How would you want to be treated? Come on, every man say, oh, me. We're like, that's your problem, not mine. Oh, really? I've done enough counseling to know you might think it's only her problem, but it becomes your problem. You better know it, record it, understand it. The Bible says dwell with her with understanding. Why doesn't it tell her to dwell with you with understanding? Because you ain't that complicated. (laughs) All right, I'll get off this. You're like, oh God, I hope he gets... I know her. She's like, oh, I hope he gets off of this one. Um, Come on, the Bible just tells us to dwell with her with understanding. It's an heir together of the grace of life. So our prayers can be effective. Women, you need to understand him. Care for him as you care for yourself. Number three, love each other in all of its dimensions. Most people get married, they're still in the infatuation stage. But we can't live in infatuation stage all the time. We have to go deeper. We have to go into the love of God. Turn with me for a moment to 1 Corinthians 13. First Corinthians 13. You should study this. Read it. Ask God about it. Meditate on it. Get different studies on it. Brother Hagin's got a book, Love, The Way to Victory. It's the very basis of covenant. Covenant love. How we bind together by the love of God. There's all kinds of different kinds of love. There's that human type of love that I love you because of what you do for me, how you make me feel. Most people get married that way. I, I, man, uh, you look great, and it makes my heart go pitter-patter. Oh, I can't believe it. We went to dinner, and he listened. He listened to me. We just sat there, and he listened. And, uh, you know, then 10 years later, he never listens to me. So there's just things. I, I, I love you because you listen to me, but if you quit listening to me, I have trouble loving you. But the love of God goes deeper. Right? For one, it'll help us to listen. For two, it doesn't end everything if we don't. All right, it got quiet. So he says, though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So there he says, your communication 
your communication needs to have the love of God in it. Or else it just becomes a bunch of noise. I know nobody has ever felt this way in marriage because marriage, you know, every, everybody's marriage here is really good. But, you know, probably other people you'll minister to have felt like, you know, you got in an argument and you just wanted to do like a little kid and cover your ears and go, ma, 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 ma. You might not have done that, but you wanted to. Why? Because it just got to be sounding like clanging brass and cymbals. I think I'm going to get my point across. But when it's not seasoned with love, it becomes a lot of noise. So he talks about communication there. You know, in resolving issues and problems. You know, we talked about that union and how God wanted it to be Christ-like in its nature. And a, a Christ-like man and a Holy Spirit-like woman. God at the center. Well, if we just use that in communication, in John, I believe it's the 14th chapter, somewhere around the 59th verse, he said, I don't say anything on my own authority. I only say what I hear the Father say. Hmm. So a Christ-like man might be careful to only say what he hears the Father say. But the Holy Spirit type woman, John chapter 16 says, the Holy Spirit will not speak on his own authority. But he'll speak what he hears the Father say. So right there now, the Holy Jesus and the Holy Spirit don't just say whatever they want to say because they have the authority to say it. But they wait and listen. Again, this is just true confession. It'll either upend my marriage or... Uh, Help it be better. But you know, if you've been in the same situation, I've prayed about my marriage. I've had encounters. I've been standing right in front of my wife. And many times heard not what not to say. Just as clear as can be what not to say. And too often, I've just gone ahead and said what I wanted to say anyway. Then you wonder why things turn out not so good. I always end up having to go, God, now, she should have listened to what I said. I know it was right. He said, well, I told you not to say it. You know, I scratch my head saying, well, yeah, but it was really the right thing to say. But I told you not to say it. How'd that work for you? It never has worked. <laughs> now, you may be different. You may say whatever you want, and it works perfectly. But when I get that unction, don't say that. And I'm like, I got to say it. I just got to say it. I got to, she's got to know it. It never turns out like she's like, thank you for sharing that with me. That helped me so much. You are so smart. So I could go back to God and say, see, I know what I'm doing. No, never happened. But then there's other times. I'm like, hmm. He says, just say this. And whenever I've said what he told me to say, it's not turned out wrong. Why? Because he loves her. He loves her. So he's not going to have me say something that demeans her, puts her down, makes me look right, makes me look better. He's not going to have me say that. Why? Because he loves her. He's not going to have her say something harsh or bitter to put me down, to make me feel inadequate. Why? Because God loves me. All right, 
They've been playing the piano a little long here, so need to figure out where to tie this off here. Praise the Lord. Said, although I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. He says, you can be gifted in all sorts of ways. But if you're just trying to show off your gift without love, you're really not who you think you are. Right. Number of times, you know, I've sat down with couples and one of them will say, I do everything, they do nothing. We've got to be careful of that. Got to be careful of that kind of thinking. Love doesn't think that way. Love doesn't think that way. He said, uh, and though I so all my goods feed the poor, give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You may give everything into it, but without love, you're not going to see the benefits or the harvest of that. We love each other. So he goes on to say, love suffers long and is kind, or it's patient. It's kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. It's not provoked, it thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Love never ceases being. See, infatuation can come and go. How we look, how we love the prom queen or the prom king, and how all that stuff, it can come and go. But the love of God, which is shed abroad in a Christian's heart, the love of God never ceases being. See, some people think, well, it says it never fails. So if I love you, everything will turn out all right. Well, Jesus loves all humanity. Everybody's not choosing him. But he's never stopped loving them. It's just something that works there. Now, I understand as we talk about this, this covenant bond, many have gone through difficulties. Many have been... Uh, their marriage has been broken because of situations. There's no condemnation. We're talking about this relationship so we can move forward. We're not trying to go backwards. We're not trying to make anybody feel lesser because of something that the enemy has done to break this apart. Again, we're not telling somebody to go back into a situation that's, that's broken and abusive. But we're saying in a covenant with God, to understand. If there's things that are going on, you just say, it's, it's uncomfortable. I don't like it. But it's not of the standard that God sets as a requirement in covenant. Study His Word. Look at the covenant relationship. Go beyond what human ideas and the world would say because we're not squeezed into the world's mold. The world didn't invent, the world didn't come up with marriage. Marriage was God's idea. God created marriage, not the world, not us. God created the marriage, and He loves marriage. He loves that covenant union. He loves that covenant bond. And the marriage, the family, is the foundation of really everything. It begins to work, as we look at this, it begins to work in your prayer life so significantly. And so many people are wondering about answered prayer. You may look back and say, I've done everything right in my marriage. I still don't understand about answered prayer. There may be other things, but there's one place to look about unanswered prayer, and that is, how am I honoring the vows to my covenant partner? Say, well, I, I'm all, I don't have a covenant partner. Sure you do. If Jesus is your Lord, you have a covenant 
partner. See, I know that, but if you're a member of a body, a local church body, body of Christ, you're covenanted together. We're joined together by the blood, the blood of Jesus. But we look at it and go, it doesn't matter. But God says it matters. So as we're talking about this mindset, we're not just simply talking about it. We are talking about a husband and wife, but we're not simply talking about that. We're talking about a mindset. But I stand right now and just rebuke the strategy of the enemy to make anyone feel lesser because their marriage may have been broken or because they're single. It's not our point. You have great things to rejoice in in God. And these principles work for you in your relationship with Him and with others. They just work at a deeper level for us who are married. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank You. We praise You. We magnify You. Holy Spirit, teach us, guide us, strengthen us for the day that we live in. That we might affect our culture with light. That we might break the norm and the trend as we look at statistics of marriage and even in the body of Christ, your body. They mirror the world. Help us to seriously take and undertake the challenge studying covenant relationships that we might grow in it. We might adhere to it. We might rely upon it. That you might be active in every detail of our marriage, our family, our life with you, and our life with your body. We recognize it. We allow you to be Lord. Because we have a covenant with you. Not of our works, but of your own precious blood. So teach us, guide us, strengthen us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Say as we go, what God did in Christ Jesus? Jesus. Far exceeds exceeds. any damage done to me me. by Adam's fall. Stop by the Rivers Registration table, ladies. Please do that for us today.